0: Welcome everybody to Between the Lines, the podcast from Jewish Quest. My name is Simon Eder, and each week I'm joined by a special guest who helps us to deconstruct that week's parasha, exploring new insights and meaning in the Torah. And it's wonderful this week to be joined by Rabbi Cassie Kale, who is honored to serve as the spiritual leader of Temple Beth El in San Pedro. She has received her ordination back in 2011 from Hebrew Union College, the Jewish Institute of Religion, where she also received masters in Jewish literature. She has worked as a congregational rabbi for a number of establishments, including Temple Emmanuel of Utica in. New York, and then Temple ahim in Jericho, also New York. She has been involved in a number of key interfaith initiatives, and also, and it's how I have come to know her, for her wonderful work on safari, where she has some excellent source sheets, including for today, as we together explore this week's Pasha Pinchas. So first of all, a very warm welcome. Thank and you so much. Maybe, what, wonderful to have you on Between the Lines. And maybe to begin, if you might share just who was Pinchas and the context, perhaps, of his zealous act that is, of course, so at the forefront of this week's Parsha.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for such a generous introduction as well. It's truly a pleasure to be here with you. So this week we are talking about an incredibly complicated character in Pinchas. Pinchas was the son of Eleazar, and Eleazar had recently become the high priest after the death of his father Aaron. And so Pinchas was really the son of the high priest of the time during the story. And it was an extremely challenging time. The Israelites were being seduced by Midianite and Moabite women into worshiping their gods, and most specifically a god called Baal Por. And this posed a really serious threat to the Israelites. God was enraged and actually creates a plague a kind of pandemic throughout the camp, giving instructions that the way to quash God's anger and by extension the plague is to punish the ringleaders who are responsible for what's going on. And that's really where Pinchas comes in. So we are to understand that there is this great injustice that's occurring, and it will take direct action to confront it before it causes irreparable damage to the Israelites. God instructs or God's instructions, rather, they send a message that justice must be served, and only by holding people responsible can this really awful situation be quashed. And so just as Moses is relaying God's words to the Jewish people, at this very moment where repentance seems possible, where the Israelites are like, well, okay, we went a little past the line here, at this very moment, There is a man named Zimri who comes into the camp with a Midianite woman named Cosby. And the two of them come in and go into Zimri's tent. And we don't really need to use our imaginations to know what's going on there. And Pinchas is seeing this, which has taken place. He walked into the tent and everything within the sight of the Israelite community, within sight of Moses. The Torah makes this very clear. And when that happens, Pincus immediately jumps to action. And the Torah tells us that he grabs his spear, he follows the couple, and he impels them through their bellies. It's a very violent act, which... Certainly is troubling and it's troubling not only because it is extremely violent, but just as disturbing that the plague doesn't come to an end until after Pincus so brutally kills Zimri and Cosby, sending this very troubling and dangerous message that some problems can only be solved through violence.
0: Thank you for sharing that all important context and setting us up for all sorts of questions that are, of course, to follow and that have occupied the commentators over the centuries. Perhaps let's jump in there. And really, I'd love to ask just how favorably the commentaries have really treated Pinchas in all their their different variations over, over the centuries.
1: Yeah, I think this is such a case of two Jews, three opinions, except it's a lot of Jews and probably like hundreds and hundreds of opinions here as to the kind of person that Pinchas was. And we see such a great gamut within the commentaries and within Midrashim, both from long ago and also modern ones being created today. So the answer is really complicated with how our commentators see Pincus. There are some commentaries that view Pincus in a very favorable light. Even if we look at Psalm 106, Psalm 106 says Pincus stepped forth and intervened and the plague ceased. It was reckoned to his merit for all generations to eternity. He's given such credit for doing this wonderful thing that might leave us scratching our heads a little bit. It's clear that Pincus's actions and his alone stopped this calamity from taking place, where this plague could have gone unchecked, where so much more awful things could have transpired. And if we dive into more of the details of the story of Pincus, we might understand that a little bit more because. It's important to note that Zimri and Cosby were not just average Israelite and Midianite, right? Zimri is the son of Salu, who is a chieftain of the tribe of Simeon. and Cosby isn't just any Midianite woman. She is actually the daughter of the Midianite chieftain, Zer. And so here are two people who are looked up to. It's a power couple whose actions are not only intentional, but have the capacity to create far more harm to the Israelite people through the mindset of this time. And Pincus acted so swiftly that he caused this disaster to end before there were larger ramifications for it. God didn't have a chance to become angry, essentially. And so it's important to note that. In addition to all of that, there were God's instructions to the Jewish people that Pinchas was following. God actually instructed the Israelites to kill the ringleaders, which is very troubling, but it's right there in last week's Torah portion, actually, to do that to eradicate the evil that is within their midst, and Cosby and Zimri certainly counted as ringleaders in this case. Some commentaries describe Pinchas as saving the people without even mentioning what he did for that to happen, and Psalms is one of those, right? Leaving out those details of how he did this points to a kind of discomfort with Pinchas's actions that we can see in lots of places, including Josephus, a variety of sources. And sometimes commentaries imagine what could have been going on in Pinchas's head as he committed the act. There are some really fascinating kind of understandings of Pinchas, including from Targum Yonatan, which actually describes Pinchas as taking a spear with one arm as he prayed with his mouth, and he continued to pray to God as he struck the sinners and he killed them. And this is a very different kind of understanding of who Pinchas would have been, that he was measured and intentional, that he was righteous, even as he was committing this act of violence. It wasn't done through anger. It was something else, which is hard for B to really understand, to be honest, but that's what the text says. One Midrash describes how Pinchas saw Zimri and Cosby and saw what they were doing, and then calmly went to Moses and walked over to him and said, didn't you teach me long ago that in this kind of a scenario, the couple engaged in this kind of an act should be dispatched by a zealot? And Moses replied and said, yes. And only after recognizing that Pentecost was dispassionate, encouraging him to go to the couple. So This is more favorable kind of ideas of who Pinchas was, right? But there's many other commentaries that do not paint Pinchas in this kind of a way. They view him, and I think rightfully as a fanatic, as a zealot, as someone who's willing to commit such terrible acts and to justify them in the name of a greater purpose to which he's privy, but perhaps others are not. And yes, God might have said that they could kill the ringleaders, but should they have? Was that really no other way for him to have acted in this kind of a scenario? In one Talmudic text, the rabbis imagine what they would have said to Pinchas at this very moment. And the idea brought forth, that this is in Bavli Sanhedrin, it says, the law may permit it, but we do not follow the law. And in another source, the rabbis talked about how they wanted to excommunicate Pincus because of what he did, because they saw it as so abhorrent, right? God made it clear that Pincus was not going to be excommunicated, but in putting this into the discourse, the rabbis were making sure that a message got out that this was not something to be replicated. This was not an ideal action. There was something wrong in what was done, even if in this context, God was sometimes in some ways rewarding it. There's even one Midrash in which Moses is afraid of Pincus. And if he could act like with this kind of zealotry and rashness, perhaps he was not cut out to be a leader of the Jewish people. And Midrash actually asked God to ensure that the leader of the people not be a zealous one, but a patient one, that it not be him, it be someone else. One of the largest issues that's raised around Pincus is the very thing for which he's given credit, which is the rashness, the quickness of his actions. Justice is important in our tradition. Of course it is. It's very fundamental. But the rabbinic concept of justice is not extrajudicial. It's not decided and acted on by one individual. In the story of Pincus, there's no judges. There's no verdict. The rabbis see that as really unethical. And killing is not something to be done lightly, clearly. We know that in the Talmud, there's this idea that if the Sanhedrin put one person to death every 70 years, then it's a murderous court. So how here in one instant is this okay? There's a right way to do justice, and that rarely, if ever, should involve a smur of the moment decision to kill two people, particularly if neither of them is actually holding a weapon of their own. So overall, there's this mixture of opinions of who Pentecost is. Clearly, God wants to reward his actions, and yet there's something within them that breeds not only discomfort, but even fear in following a leader like him.
0: Thank you for sharing such a full gamut of opinion as one would certainly expect. I think you touched briefly on that passage from Sanhedrin, I think 82a, which shares quite a narrow path through which Pinchas's act is ultimately accorded the merit, but step a kind of a tiny amount to the left or the right, and that 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 merit would not be there. Could you perhaps guide us a little bit through that passage and share the kind of conclusions that you draw from it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this text from Sanhedrin, 82a, it's fascinating, right? It gives us a good check and balances for this story because it demonstrates that zealous violence is rarely, if ever, to be condoned. And the text really describes how Pincus's act of violence was only okay in this one rare case. And it was only okay if he killed Zimri and Cosby as they were actually engaged in the act. It was only okay, the Talmud says, for zealots to kill while victims are engaged in a sinful act. If Pincus had killed them even a moment before, then Pincus would have been declared guilty of a heinous crime. Because the couple wouldn't actually be guilty of a sin at that point. And so that would speak to someone, that would speak to Pincus being someone who jumped to conclusions that acted in a way that was inappropriate, that was quick to judge and assume what's going to happen, not giving them a chance to maybe move away from the sin, but just assuming there's no way, there's no other way but to kill them at this moment. And the Talmud makes it very clear that would not be appropriate. And at the same time, it also says that if Pincus had killed them the moment after their act, then his act of violence also would have been far from appropriate, and he would have had really severe consequences for doing so, because he wouldn't have been stopping anything from happening. Rather, he would be a pursuer of justice after a sinful act, and according to the Talmud, a pursuer is only permitted to kill in the case of self-defense. Otherwise, justice needed to be found through a court of law, not just him acting in, from this place of violence. So if at that point Pincus had killed the couple, then he would, this would suggest that Pincus was a man who killed out of anger, who killed out of self-righteousness, and was meeting out justice himself. And that is not something that this passage is willing to tolerate, that the rabbis were willing to tolerate. So in insisting that Pincus's act was only appropriate for this little, small, narrow window of time, right? Sanhedrin 82a sends this message that this was a special case, that this isn't meant for replication, that this was something where God called out and said, okay, you could do this, but it needed to be in a very specific way for it to be tolerated at all.
0: Otherwise it was flat out wrong. No, thank you for guiding us through that. I wonder obviously the significant moral question that arises. Obviously, Pinchas is bestowed uh, with the with with the priesthood for, forever through this act. And I wonder really how such a priceless reward can possibly be given for, ultimately, as we've been exploring, like the act of killing, and maybe as a footnote, are there any other kind of instances, perhaps Moses himself, who also, at the very outset of his journey, who kills like himself, what other instances perhaps come to mind with rewards that are entailed through that?
1: Yeah, of course. Very much this can bring up that memory of Moses. How, when he saw injustice of a taskmaster that was beating a slave, right? He hit that taskmaster and perhaps even killed him. I don't know if there truly were rewards from that. There were a lot of repercussions that Moses felt with that. But the rabbis are a lot nicer to Moses in that action than they are to Pinnacles. When that happened, Israelites saw what he had done and felt like they couldn't trust him. And at the same time, he knew that word was getting out. And so Moses needed to flee, right? Like he had put him actually in a very scary position because of what he had done. But the rabbis still see that as a lot more favorably as like looking at this text with Pincus. Um, Pincus is given... This reward of the priesthood, and I think you're absolutely right. It's a huge problem, right? Moses is ultimately, he becomes a leader of the Jewish people, but he needs to go through a whole lot in order to get to that point. And I think soul searching in order to get to that point, quite honestly. With Pinchas, here he's told, okay, you did the zealous Act. You have the priesthood and your descendants after you have the priesthood for all time. And right after this act, as a reward for doing this act, yeah, that that feels really hard to take and hard to understand because the priesthood is supposed to be about love. It's supposed to be about uplifting of people. It's supposed to be done through justice and compassion as well. And here we're seeing acts of anger and violence. That's not really what we tend to think of when we think of a priest. I think it's also important to recognize that there's two rewards that he receives. So just one of them is the priesthood, Panthus, and then there'll be a second one as well that I want to get to. But we also might wonder, why does he even need to be rewarded the priesthood? It's his father Elzar, who is the high priest at this time, it had been passed down to him from his father. Wouldn't it naturally be passed down to Pinchas and then to Pinchas' descendants, right? So the rabbis say, no, somehow Pinchas had been left out of it, and so he needed to do something in order to be invited into the priesthood. If that's the case, that definitely is troubling, right? Do we want our priests, leaders of peace, to be zealots, to be people who do these acts of violence? I know I don't, right? And yet, this blessing that's bestowed on Pincus might not actually be what it seems, because what if Pincus was going to have the priesthood anyway? What if it wasn't actually a blessing bestowed on him that he wouldn't have otherwise had, but it was just a reaffirmation that he was to become priest? There's even this really interesting midrash of how Pinchas was worried about losing his status as a priest because He knew the priests were not allowed to be guilty of murder or manslaughter. And here, that's pretty much what he had just done. And so by God telling Pinchas that he had priesthood and it would be passed on, he was perhaps reassuring him that in this case, his priesthood wouldn't be revoked because of the very specific circumstances under which he acted. So that's really a different way of kind of understanding this. But if it's okay, I want to say just a little bit about the other blessing that he was given.
0: Please do, yeah.
1: So the other blessing was briti shalom, this covenant of peace that God has given Pincus. And this gift in itself sends a really important message, I think, that God is wishing that Pincus will trade his quick temper for patience, his anger for compassion. The word shalom in the Torah, the way that it's written within our text in Numbers 25, right? It's written very often with a break in one of the letters, with a break in the letter vav. The vav shape has this curve at the top, as we know, right? And it's a line down and it's reminiscent of the very spear with which Pinchas killed Zimri and Cosby, perhaps noting that this act of violence, whatever the context, had forever changed Pinchas. And the violence or the break in the Vav might also teach us a lesson that peace can never be achieved by violence, no matter the circumstance. We also know that God's blessing of peace is marking a new direction for Pinchas to concern himself with serving the people. But not through anger and violence, but rather through love. And that, I think, is a really powerful message of hope and of transformation, that God believes that Pincus can be a different kind of a leader.
0: Maybe to now bring it full circle, and I think you've planted some important seeds in what you've already just said, but it's obviously such a fine line that we have with this with this episode so easy to utilize this this story for for justification of zealotry and yet of course within it the seeds of self-correction and 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 the pursuit of peace i really wonder and perhaps to conclude what this episode can really say about our action in the world today.
1: Yeah. uh, And I think it has a lot like for this troubling story to which it might feel really hard to relate. it, It transforms into one that is so applicable and relevant to our time. We know there is so much injustice in our world. Right, Perhaps when we witness injustice, when we see racism and xenophobia and anti-Semitism and sexism play out before our eyes and so many other types of injustice as well, it's natural and even appropriate to feel angry. That anger can be a force that can drive us to do something. We want to be passionate. We need to be passionate in our fight for what is just and what is right in this world. The way that Pinnitus goes about showing His passion for justice is perhaps not something that we want to applaud, but I think that at least I hope that we can also recognize the courage that he displays in wanting to do something for noticing a problem and standing up and saying, I can actually be part of the solution. We're all familiar with Elie Wiesel's quote that we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. How often do we see injustices that happen to people we love that happen to people we don't even know, where it's really easy to turn our heads and look the other way. But Pincus is teaching us, no, that's not okay. If there's something going wrong, it has Wider repercussions, it's important to stand up and do something about it. But, and it's a really big but, we must be careful about how we do so, how we channel that anger. Like a flame, anger can fuel destruction and mistrust. It can lead to loss of life in such awful ways. But fire can also be a source of warmth. That comforts us, that sustains us, a provider of light, of justice through which we can navigate all of our actions, a beacon for what is good and right in our world and within our tradition. It can be the fuel that drives us and sustains us as we work for a much more just and a more compassionate society. And our text, God is condoning this one act of violence as a special circumstance. But our tradition is very clear that violence is not actually the way. So, my hope of what we can take away from this is like, just as Pinchas had courage to stand up, to take risks, to do what was right, that we too have courage that we too can take initiative, but that when we do so with the knowledge of the Breach Shalom, we do so inspired to act through a covenant of peace, which will always be more effective than anything else.
0: main to that. Rabbi Kale, thank you so much for guiding us through this extremely complex and difficult episode that we encounter in Bamidba as we hurtle towards its concluding parashat. So thank you so much, much, much to contemplate there and take with us on our journey. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please do remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, do find out all about our exciting content we have for you on our mothership, jewishquest.org. We do look forward to meeting again next week.